creativity is our currency, and London has been one of the capitals of architecture, not only architectural practice, but architectural education. And I think, you know, there's no, it's no accident that British architects are found working around the world and they're sought after. Now, whether we're in the EU or out of the EU doesn't change that situation. Hello and welcome to Archonnect Sessions One to One. My name is Amelia, and this week I'm speaking with Mark Middleton, managing partner at Grimshaw in their London office. You probably are already well aware that on June 23rd, the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union. And in the weeks since, things have gotten very messy. The pound dropped to its lowest value against the dollar in 31 years. London could lose its footing as a financial center. And Prime Minister David Cameron, who initiated the so-called Brexit vote in the first place, has said he'll resign in October. It's not clear when or how the UK will negotiate its divorce terms with the EU, but it could mean years of uncertainty for firms and schools. For this one-to-one, Mark Middleton sorts through the current mood for practitioners in the UK and the effects Brexit could have on architecture projects and policy in the years to come. Well, so much has happened after the Brexit decision approximately two weeks ago. What is exactly the general mood in the office right now, if you can give me just kind of a, a feel for how it feels to be in the office? After Brexit, there's, it's a, it's a, well, there's a strange mood. There's a bit of a wake-like atmosphere, if you like. But it's not necessarily for the business. It's for the country. So there's a broader kind of collective kind of sigh um, of despair, really, uh, you know, there's a lot of young people. We have a very young office, and as you know, the demographic in terms of the vote was mainly older people, and certainly older people in the north of England who voted, you know, overwhelmingly to leave the EU. Whereas uh, younger people who are more metropolitan, based around London, voted to stay in. And ours, our average age is, you know, around um, is under 30 or, or about 30. Then, you know, it's um, it's been a bit a, a bit a bit depressed. 35% of our staff here are. From the EU, there are EU workers, and they've moved here under the free movement of people. So, yeah, there's a bit of um, there's a bit of uh, uh, disbelief, and um, there's a lot of um, people having various theories, hoping that, that in, in fact we don't invoke Article 50 and we actually mm. don't leave, despite the referendum. But you know, I'm not so sure whether that whether the politicians are willing to take that uh, very you know difficult and grave step. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned before that the vote very much broke down by age and that a lot of younger architects or younger voters were very much in favor of remaining. Can you, and I know also that was the case in um, architecture in general, and the architecture profession was mostly in favor of remaining. Can you explain your own position on Brexit at before everything happened, what your kind of thought process was um, around your opinion? Well, I, I, write a, I write a monthly article for the Building Design, which is a different, different magazine. So I was actually, I was, I was slated to do something about Brexit. So I had the, I sort of, it almost facilitated me reading quite a lot about it, which, which, which I did do. I was also, I'd, I'd have written a few things or been quoted in the press as being very pro-Brexit. We had a very long conversation amongst the partners here. And, and, and we were all pro, not necessarily for, you know, from, from a Grimshaw-centric perspective. We don't get that much work in, from the EU, to be perfectly honest. We don't work. We did historically. I mean, Germany was a very rich ground for us in the 90s. But we haven't really done much work uh, in the EU since then. The odd job in, in Spain, uh, as an example, was a, and, um, you know, a couple of forays into Italy. So it wasn't really necessarily a big market. It was the cultural side to it, the kind of enrichment we get from having 
a very multicultural office in terms of people from the EU, we've got people from Portugal, Spain, France, Germany here, and, and that, that exchange culturally and really in terms of friendships and technical knowledge has always been a really important thing for us and for me personally. And, you know, we all enjoy our lives here have been, you know, very much enriched by, you know, being able to travel to Europe, sample all those cultures only, a, you know, a couple of hours away. So I was, it was very sad to think that that was, that was it. And also in my own personal history, when I was a student, uh, I went to a, a university in Scotland and they, they have these things called Erasmus uh, student exchanges, which are organised by the EU. And I spent an academic year in Copenhagen at the Royal Academy of Fine Art there, which of course wouldn't be possible with Brexit. And I know a lot of my friends here, there's certainly a guy who's now a partner here who's um, a fellow alumni from my university who's maybe three or four years behind me. He similarly went to Denmark or went to Aarhus. So, you know, I think it's, um, we're much poorer. We're much poorer for not being there in terms of our student lives and our, our everyday lives, the ability to move around. So I think it's, um, it's a sad day, but, but also I'm, I'm a realist. You know, if we do eventually take the vote, which there's a chance we might not, but if we do leave, then, you know, we've got to be, we've got to turn the ship around and be kind of positive about it and try and look for other opportunities and, and see where the, see where the market is and see how we can deal with it. Mm-hmm. There has been a fair amount of discussion around firms having to either cut away some staff or potentially stop working on a few projects in response to the decision. And you do mention that there is still, of course, a chance that leave will not follow through. However, what can you do at this time? What is Grimshaw doing at the moment to prepare in this very uncertain future? Well, I think certainly other practices have had projects that have been gone on hold. I don't think anything's been cancelled, but, you know, I think that with the uncertainty around, because the elections aren't until, um, so the elections aren't ratified until October, and from what we, in terms of the Conservative Party and then us having a new Prime Minister, and then I don't think any notice to leave the EU, if it's given, will happen until, you know, perhaps the end of the year. So with that uncertainty, a lot of clients are probably doing the right thing, saying, well, we don't know what's going to happen, let's just kind of uh, take a breath. We personally haven't had that, and I know other practices that I know have been shedding 10, 12, 15, 20 people. We are, currently, we don't have anything on hold. We were envisaging a slowdown this next year, so in terms of a slowing of our business, we kind of anticipate a slight slowdown in the business anyway. But as yet, we haven't uh, seen anything. But, you know, we do have contingency plans. We are looking uh, and can can you know continuously monitoring whether or not our projects go down, but we're not necessarily exposed in a lot of the kind of commercial office, high-end residential markets, which I think have seen an immediate kind of people grabbing the pause button. You know, we're in some of the you know larger infrastructure projects. I think yes, there may be a delay to those, but in terms of a delay, it might be the delay in terms of building them, the construction of them. The actual process of getting approvals and carrying on with those projects is still happening. So, uh, you know, we remain optimistic, but of course we do have contingency plans in place so we can act fast because any business in this particular environment needs to be agile. And, you know, you know, I think you can, you know, companies can harm themselves unless they unless they act quickly. So what we're trying to do is try and get ourselves in a position where we have, you know, it's a plan for the plan for the worst, hope for the best. Mm. I sounded, I sounded very British then when I said that, but yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, we've, in, in other conversations, the phrase, keep calm and carry on, was indeed passed around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely trying to avoid saying that. <laughs> well, you brought up the student population and in particular Grimshaw's actual employees having kind of profited from that free movement around the EU and in, within the UK to study and to kind of sample from different 
cultures and working styles and bring that diversity of knowledge back to the firm. And of course, this is also something that follows with hiring. So after the fact of already going through education, but also hiring from different places within the EU and potentially elsewhere. I was wondering if you could comment a little bit on how hiring practices might be changed by this, whether or not perhaps farther away foreign employees might become more enticing if there if certain things within the EU make it more difficult to hire from within there, or just general changes that you might anticipate when it comes to hiring from within the EU? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting in terms of the hiring uh, of architects. I mean, uh, demonstrably, there is a skill shortage. Otherwise, we wouldn't be hiring people here. We'd be, you know, we would be sort of harvesting our own kind of rich kind of harvest of architects here. So there is obviously, there's obviously a shortfall. Otherwise, we wouldn't have. I mean, we've got about, it's nearly half. So half of our architects are from the UK. Half of them are from, you know, the rest of the world, 35% from the EU and about 15% from the rest of the world. I think that, obviously, if that particular route is cut off, you know, setting to one side, there may be a general downturn in terms of demand for architects because there may be less work. If there is a same level of demand, then I would hope we would very quickly get better arrangements in terms of visa share and points and things like that with, you know, um, with, with America, obviously, and, uh, you know, Australia and Australasia. Because we've got we've got some pretty obviously we've got some historical relationships with those, but we obviously share a common language. And actually, I think the architectural education certainly in Australasia is very similar to ours. So that would kind of make it easy. So we just look further. We just look further afield. I'm not ruling out you know Asia or, or India or China or any of those places, but I think it would be the UK would then have to establish new visa. Uh, 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 arrangements with those com- countries, and I, and I anticipate that they would go to the um, people who we we have you know we we have long-standing relationships with, which are either from the Commonwealth, the UK, and also this, uh, the states, which has always been a very special relationship between the two. So I would imagine that would happen, but that's me completely speculating. I would hope that we would be able to get to a situation where we would uh, have a very broad immigration policy that had maybe a point system, but it would entice. Um, the whole world wanting to come here, not just the people from the EU. But I'd just like to reiterate, it's a, you know, it's a, you know, that is really a sticking plaster over the problem. We would prefer to continue where we are. And Grimshaw also has offices in New York, Melbourne, and Sydney. I'm wondering, was there any discussion before the decision was made among those different offices about? you know, what might happen, what potential repercussions there may be, and like kind of just what the general discussion was like around it between the different offices. Well, we we have a global operations group, which is made up of all the managing partners from all the offices and our CFO and other people. So there's a smaller group and and it was discussed. I mean, we did want to plan for it. We all didn't think it would happen, I might add, but it doesn't mean we didn't think about it and speculate what, what may happen. I think that the fact that we are a global business and we have offices, as you've said, in New York, uh, Melbourne, Sydney, we have a fledgling office in Kuala Lumpur. We also have another one in Doha, which is, we think we will need to do by soon uh, because of projects we have there. But actually, you know, compared to, say, and this isn't me gloating, by the way, but just in terms of, you know, UK-based practices, I think they've got some very specific problems uh, there that, 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 that we aren't fully exposed to. I mean, half of our revenue comes from the UK, half from the rest of the world. So, you know, it's... Um, I guess it's half as much of a problem as as, as, as as other people. But yeah, it's a very it's a very difficult time. Uh, but we believe we're an agile business. We've got a good spread of people. We have an active transfer of staff between our offices, and certainly we have good prospects in both the American and Australian operations. So if we needed to pick up a 
a whole team of Grimshaw trained people who are kind of immersed in our culture and the way we work and send them to Australia or America, then we can do that. So that's, you know, I guess that's kind of um, emergency planning. We can, you know, although we have plans in place, there's no, there's no active plan to do that just yet. But as I say, that just illustrates the uh, kind of flexibility that we have. But, you know, I have a, I have a great deal of sympathy for my professional colleagues who are just working in the UK because it must be a very, you know, we're very worried. But if my business was just here, I'd be very worried. Also regarding the general cheapness of, or rather I should say, perhaps I can ask you to play a little bit of devil's advocate at this point. And if you had to make an argument for how leaving the EU would actually be beneficial for architecture and for architects in the UK. Can you offer any kind of, that I won't hold you to, but just any type of argument on how you would see that this might be a net gain? Well, I think there, in terms of if Brexit happens and we find ourselves in that situation, I think there are three, there's two responses to that. The first is, you know, where there's turmoil, there's opportunity. I mean, that's just a general business thing. And I think that we will be able to, there'll be something we'll be able to find. I certainly think the government will turn inward. It's a very, you, one might say backward, but but if you're being generous, inward looking move. And I think therefore infrastructure in the country, you know, so the high speed rail network, power infrastructure, um, aviation, the, the new government may want to put money into all of those things. And certainly Grimshaw are well placed for those those elements. So I think there will be work, but it might be public works. We may be taking the money that we would have paid to the EU and then just plough them into, you know, homegrown, almost like a kind of a, you know, a kind of FDR five-year plan for the UK. That, that, that could happen if I'm being optimistic. Secondly, I also think that kind of creativity is our currency and London has been one of the capitals of architecture, not only architectural practice, but architectural education. And I think, you know, there's no, there's no accident that British architects are, are found working around the world and they're sought after. Now, whether we're in the EU or out of the EU doesn't change that situation. Our education and the way that we approach projects and that we approach business, I think, is sought after globally. So I think there's a lot of room for optimism, whether we're in or outside the EU. I think we've always outperformed, uh, you know, other, other countries, certainly countries of a similar size. So I think that we've there's a lot of room for optimism there. So I would say really that, you know, there may be different funding landscape that might be beneficial for architects in this country that would inevitably stop you know foreign architects from, from taking the work so it would be it would be British architects doing it which which culturally isn't very good isn't, isn't something I would like but maybe that's a benefit and secondly I think we're a very creative bunch here in the UK so and that's not going to go well. I like that positivist spin thanks for that it also ties into a larger conversation around urbanistically what brexit might mean for a place like London as a financial center in the UK and generally a place where there is a lot of creative content happening out of. I'm wondering if you could kind of speculate around what might happen to London urbanistically, both in terms of just the communities that are present there and active there, both creative and financial, and also just what it is like to exist there in terms of being able to, you know, pay your rent. If the financial center kind of relocates and maybe architects are no longer finding London as the place to be. Yeah, I think the well, the speculation is that the financial centre will, will be affected. I mean, but London's always been a centre for banking. I mean, in the same way that New York's a centre for, for banking, it's not just centred around what America does. It's, it's because it's a it's a centre of expertise, and that won't disappear overnight. It won't go from a hundred down to zero. You know, I think the EU passport or the EU financial passports may be negotiated or may not be negotiated. Uh, so, some of that work's going to go. So, that's going to step down. 
which is an important part of the city. I think uh, creatively, again, we will find a way, you know, if it's film, the arts, architecture, graphics, fashion, I, I still think we, we, we're a major player. So I think that that's not going to go away. And I think that, you know, either trade tariffs or deals will be centered around uh, or could be centered around the creative industry. So again, I think, you know, that's, you know, with this kind of inward looking, what do we have? We've got no manufacturing to speak of. So actually what we have is ideas and we have services. And I can't see that those things will change. The, the, the law must be turned up in, in terms of volume. So I'm pretty optimistic about that. In terms of the landscape itself, it kind of depends on what the, um, you know, the actual physical landscape. There's been a lot written here about the kind of um, almost the global occupation of space in London. So basically, the, you know, the selling, the building of high-end apartments and then selling those to, you know, investors from all around the world, wherever they may be, you know, Asia, China, America, wherever. And that really has kind of um, almost ghettoized a lot of, uh, you know, residential developments, particularly residential developments along the river and in kind of, uh, you know, uh, very notable places within London. Now, that market is seen to be kind of dropping. And I think that there will be a big raise in that kind of middle ground, that kind of the afford, not not super affordable, but the middle ground. And maybe some of these high departments might have to either be subdivided or changed. And I think maybe there may be an opportunity there for residents of the UK. And that may mean not only British you know, uh, uh, kind of naturalized, sorry, you know, born, people are born in the UK, but also hopefully the EU citizens who want to stay here who become naturalized, you know, it might mean that Londoners in the broadest sense of it will be able to occupy more of those places and it becomes less uh, kind of an absent population. That really is the is, is the problem. You know, you get these large developments and when it goes to night, when it, when it, you know, when it, when, when, it, when night falls, these buildings don't light up with occup- occupancy. They stay dark because people are in wherever, Malaysia or America or wherever they are, these investors. So I think there may be a knock-on effect. There may be a positive effect on the urban environment, which is that it could be more kind of um, Londoners occupying the space the space that, that we have, even though, you know, demonstrably it won't be as rich a place because there won't be perhaps so many visitors or visitors from, from the EU or so much for cultural exchange. But, you know, there's a lot of negativity about it. And I think if it happens, then we've just got to be positive and we've got to try and find our unique place in the world and attract people here for our own merits. So there may be benefits from it. And I, I, and I don't say that being someone who, who, who voted leave or who think it's a good thing. I'm just thinking that if we are in that situation, we've got to make the best of it. And of course, aside from the actual decision to leave the EU, there's also been a fair amount of political fallout in the UK. David Cameron began another term as prime minister earlier in May, and along with the Conservatives had planned to instate these some new plans for many housing initiatives, some of them controversial, some of them a little bit more sunnier, including many plans to build on brownfields and encourage hundreds of thousands of more housings to be built, including some affordable ones and ones for first-time homeowners, as well as instating the, the somewhat controversial plan that Margaret Thatcher first instated to a right to buy of council housing. And yeah. so there's all of these housing plans that were kind of floating around. And since David Cameron has resigned or has announced his resignation that should take place by October, what are your opinions on how all of these housing plans might come to be? Well, it's an interesting question about the housing. I can't see that it changing. I mean, it's a kind of a, so it was a problem whether we were in or out the EU. And, you know, and it's got nothing to do with net migration or it's got nothing to do with anything. You know, there, are, there just aren't enough houses. We haven't been building enough houses. And I think that perhaps 
this might focus us, you know, Brexit might focus us on building those houses. I don't think it necessarily affects that. It wasn't necessarily pinned to David Cameron. There's a lots of people, lots of commentators kind of talking about that and actually have, have, having that sorted. So I don't think it'll affect it. We, we, we've got a housing housing uh, proposal here for 500 houses, that, you know, that's, that, that's still going ahead. So I, I'm, I, don't, I don't think it'll affect, it'll affect things like that. You know, I think there's, you know, there's the obvious investments that are going to be affected are those that really need to access, you know, a tremendous amount of borrowing and are related to rents and things like that. So I think a lot of commercial lets, tall buildings, things like that, which are, you know, they're big asks and they're big punts, I think will be affected by it. I think, um, you know, development with, with, with a very relatively quick buyback period and the investment returns will be okay. And I think housing is one of those. Well, thank you so much for your time and thoughts on the subject. And it's certainly something that we recognize is very much developing. And we hope to kind of keep checking in as more things come out. No, that's, as I'm saying, is that, you know, it's been a shock. You know, we don't think it's the right decision. We are hopeful that the decision is kind of unpicked somehow. And I don't, God knows how that happens, but it, we, we hope it might be. But also, I think we're resilient enough to to survive it. We can find new ways of doing it. And certainly from a Grimshaw perspective, given our global outlook, we think we're in as good a position as anybody to get our way around it. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be all doom and gloom. The truth of many situations is in between those two points, isn't it? It's probably not as bad as you think. It's probably not as good as you hope. Exactly. Well, it's been two weeks and we hope that the pound might bounce back a little bit more and we'll we'll just have to keep an eye on it. But thank you so much for your time. No, no worries. It's uh, lovely to talk with you. Take care. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Arcanex Sessions one-to-one with Mark Middleton. Dana Lovoinov edits our podcast, and Matt Skillings composed our music. Myself and Paul Petrunia are the producers of one-to-one. New episodes come out every Monday. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or on Google Play Music. And if you like the podcast, please consider leaving us a review. We are at Arc Sessions on Twitter, and you can email us at connect at arcconnect.com. Thanks again for listening.